Hi, this is Damien Christoph from 100 Not Out and The Wellness Guys. Become a change maker in the health industry today. All you need to do is enroll for the functional nutrition course and become an internationally recognized expert on the vitalistic philosophy of food and nutrition with our friends at the Functional Nutrition Academy. Register now and receive a six-week bonus accreditation course providing you with the business tools to start and grow your own business and a whopping $1,000 discount. So don't delay and start your health career today at www.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash functional. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by Stephanie Grinke. Stephanie is a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and holistic educator. She loves talking about women's health, focusing on fertility, optimizing health during pregnancy, and supporting women through the postpartum period. Um, She's also a fellow podcaster with a fantastic podcast, um, realfoodmamaspodcast.com, which she has been co-hosting with uh, a previous guest on that paleo show, Agla Jacob, Um, but we can talk about what's happening with that a little bit later on as well. But for now, welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Oh, absolute pleasure. I, I had to resist the urge not to call you Stinky Grinky, Stephanie, because just before we came on air, you told me the story of how that's how people remember your name and your uh, mother-in-law's name because she's a primary school teacher, and that cracked me up. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. So, But I thought I wouldn't go with that right from the start. I thought I'd introduce you and chat a little bit first before I went to the primary school payouts. <laughs> Thank you. I know that makes a great first impression, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great to have you on board. Um, looking forward to chatting to you about such an important topic as women's health. Um, let's start right from the start. How did you get into women's health and why is this a passion of yours? Yeah, I, I guess it goes all the way back to when I got out of my dietetic training and was trying to figure out which area of dietetics I wanted to go into. Do I want to work at a hospital? Do I want to work in a community setting? Do I want to work at WIC and help with infant and women feeding um, and nursing? Do I want to have a private practice? There's so many areas that you can choose once you become a dietitian, which is great, but you you, you have to decide what your area of expertise is. And I knew mine was not the hospital setting. I actually got reprimanded a couple of times for spending too long with patients in their rooms because the people that cared I wanted to spend more than just a couple of minutes with and that's not how you work the hospital setting Um, and so I decided to do my own thing and work in private practice at this time I was actually a vegetarian and I had been a vegetarian for years we were told the benefits of a vegetarian diet during my undergrad training and I went with it and I thought I was feeling well until uh, my husband, who was at the time training to become a Marine, decided to pick up CrossFit and paleo. And so he came home and told me he was going to do this paleo or caveman diet. And I looked at him like he was insane. How could you possibly not eat grains? They are the base of the food pyramid. And with all that cholesterol and all that saturated fat, you are blowing my mind right now. And you are just going to die of a heart attack. And 
<laughs> you know, I kind of is he still around? I it's just oh yeah, he's still around, <laughs> and I, I you know I I let him do his own thing, but I was kind of rolling my eyes, and as I was seeing him just build muscle like he's never built before, he's a very lean guy, had a hard time building muscle. He was building muscle with CrossFit. He was feeling energetic. His skin was getting better. And I thought maybe he's on to something. So I opened up my mind a little bit to the possibility of this paleo diet. And this was all the way back in 2010. And Rob Wolf's book had just come out. There was no, there was really no books available about the paleo diet, but Rob's. Hmm. So I read it and I literally, Dr. Brett, I spent the entire night reading it and going between crying because I felt like I had been lied to because everything was starting to make sense. And the science was there. It was just told a different way during my undergrad, like how, how things work in the body. So I decided the next day after not sleeping that whole night and reading and crying, um, I decided to do the paleo diet myself and I haven't looked back. I wouldn't say that I'm hundred percent paleo. I, I definitely play around with my diet a lot more now cause it's been seven years. Um, and I'm experimenting with what feels good for me, but I would say that's pretty much the template that I use with myself and, and patients that I work with. So, um, you know, picking up from there, I actually contacted Rob Wolf. I started working with Rob Wolf, and I was finding that the majority of people that I was working with were women with hormonal issues, whether that be PCOS, endometriosis, um, eating disorders or disordered eating, women who are trying to get pregnant but struggling. And so that became my area of expertise is working with this specific population. Well, what happens when you get women healthy is that they get pregnant. So naturally, it led to working with the pregnant population and making sure that they were able to get the best information possible. Because if there's any pregnant women in the audience or women that have been pregnant in their life, they completely understand that there's a lot of junk out there when it comes to the world of prenatal health and, and nutrition. And there's a lot of conflicting information. And that became my goal and my passion right now is helping women get the information that they need that they've so that they can make educated decisions during their pregnancy and also how to combat or potentially prevent some of the common prenatal and postnatal health issues. So that that then led to, you know, that's mostly my consulting practice and then working with the Whole30 team, uh, Melissa Hartwig, creating a specific pregnancy program where we give you all the facts, tons of credible information, and allow you to make the choice that's going to feel right for yourself and your family. Nice. I love it. There's lots of good points that I'd love to talk about. But the first one I'd like to talk about is just, um, you know, when you started reading Rob Wolf, and he's such a good read. He's always, he's very entertaining, but he's very scientific at the same time, which is always good. He's, I always find very easy to read. But uh, obviously going through the, the science there, and that was conflicting with the science you'd been learning at uni or you know, during your study, how did that go for you? <laughs> like obviously, um, you know, how did you reflect back on what you'd learnt during your course from, I guess, a scientific perspective with that better, more rounded understanding? You know, he has such a way with words to make things easy to read for the general public, but also the the anecdotes and the analogies that he uses works well for the health professional too. And so when I was reading 
what he was throwing at me, it, I just kept nodding myself. I, I, I found myself nodding my head and the light bulbs went off. The connections were made. The neurons were firing. Um, it, it really all made sense. So while it was hard for me to take those four years of school where I felt like I was rerouted the wrong way um, and have to kind of switch paths. That was tricky, but it was also a very hopeful feeling. And I think people can relate to that. You know, if they do read his book or they're reading about health information, it's that that catch 22 that, oh, well, okay, I, what I've been doing has been wrong, but that gives me hope that I can change and get better and move on. Yeah, absolutely. He, do, he does have a great way of sharing that information. So obviously you then um, you know, made some changes, started working with these women and getting great results. But um, you know, women's health is such a big topic and it seems like there's lots of women out there who are struggling with hormonal issues and, uh, and whether it's you know, fertility or PCOS or you know, other hormone imbalances, it seems to be becoming more and more common. Um, why do you think we're seeing such a plethora of women's health issues in our society? Oh, that's a big question. Um, a big answer. <laughs> I I would say there's there's a lot of variables. One, obviously, as a dietitian, we're looking at the diet, and we are looking at when women, but everybody in general, eating a very processed, very high sugar diet. Things like PCOS or endometriosis are highly linked to blood sugar dysregulation and inflammation. So if we aren't putting the right fuel in our body, we are going to end up with health conditions. And namely, those two things are, are huge in my population. Also, environmental concerns. I'm sure you've, you've probably had an expert come on and talk about you know, the toxins. I hate using the word toxins, but um, environmental contaminants, pesticides, PCBs, all of that. If you mm. think about a, a woman, she wakes up, right, washes her face with who knows what kind of face wash, puts moisturizer on her face, puts a ton of makeup on, tons of different products. Um, you know, she probably has taken a shower before that point, used body wash, she brushes our teeth with toothpaste. And that's all in a matter of an hour of waking, right? So we've got all of that exposure, then you're driving in car breathing in that gasoline. Um, you are at work, you might have exposures at work, you're eating food that might not be all organic and pastured. So as you can see, there's a huge uh, burden based on our the women in our culture. And unless you are able to make some shifts they don't have to be large just small shifts little by little uh, you can you can understand how we are experiencing those issues what about things like uh, like plastics and soy products and some of those phytoestrogens you got it yep yep those all play a role for sure that kind of goes into what is in your skincare product and what are you putting in your mouth yeah, absolutely. I, I think those can have a massive impact. And once again, so, sometimes it's just really simple changes, isn't it, that people can make. You know, if they just convert from, you know, the plastic packaging to maybe some glass or some ceramic, it can make a massive difference to their exposure in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm so with you when it comes to little by little. I'm not about to say that I made all of these changes overnight. And in fact, I made a lot of changes to my diet, but I'm still continuing to tweak and modify and make better the things that I'm doing. I mean, it just just recently I changed from using um, a plastic, even though it was BPA 
free a plastic water bottle mm. to a stainless steel one. You know, and I've been doing this for years. So you don't have to do it all overnight. You might want to start with when you finish that bottle of face wash that isn't necessarily squeaky clean, then you move on to buying a new one. Um, and you do little by little when things run out. Maybe you do one room at a time. You work on all of the products in your kitchen, cleaning them out for newer things. Um, maybe you start with your proteins and you start buying all organic and grass-fed and pastured when you can, if you can, and then move on to produce. Um, and you save the you, you, just, you just have to prioritize with what's going to work for you because we know we can learn all this stuff. We know so much about nutrition. We know a lot about environmental concerns, but do we do them? No, some <laughs> of us do, but I think it falls back to feeling completely overwhelmed with everything that you have to do. So if you can start somewhere, whatever sounds feasible for you, and then just move on as you feel confident, that's really great approach. Yeah, I love that. I think making those little changes constantly, you know, Kaizen, small steps of continual and never-ending improvement is just a great way to go about it when it comes to making health changes. Um, let's talk about fertility. You know, how much of an issue is fertility in our society now? Oh, gosh. Well, I think the latest statistic I saw was about 12%, um, but I think that that number is not the most accurate because we know it, it's underreported. Not all couples you know, are, are able to report their, their concerns. Um, so that number actually seems a lot lower than what I've seen in my practice and, and mm. from what I've, I've read in other areas. So that's a CDC statistic. So it, it definitely is an increasing concern. And the one thing that I really want to make clear about infertility is it's not just a female issue. I think a lot of times women get down on themselves and they think that, you know, there's something wrong with my eggs or something wrong with my body. And they do so much work and they are working their butt off to get healthy, get clean, um, do blood testing when it could very well be in fact, be their partner. And we're seeing anywhere between like 30 and 40% of infertility could be male factor related. So it, you, you get, it takes two, it takes two yeah. healthy people. So I just want to make sure that that's clear because I, yeah. I know women can totally beat themselves up for that. Absolutely. And I think it's such an important point. And I think it's somewhere where, you know, the guys need to step up a little bit in that regard. You know, it's it's easy to sort of, you know, let the, the female take all the blame and, and do all the work in that regard. But it really it does need to be both. And it needs to start from, you know, before you start thinking about conceiving as well. Yeah, I like to I like to get couples at least three months prior to conceiving so that we can make sure we have the healthiest egg and the healthiest sperm possible. And one of the things that I tell the women in my practice if their husbands or partners are having trouble making changes is I ask them to ask their partner if they want to have really healthy super sperm. I mean, what kind of what guy doesn't want to have super sperm? So if we can if we can label it as you're gonna be more macho and like you got this, like you're gonna increase your testosterone and just be the stallion, yes, you'll get compliance. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I would perhaps even go a step further than that, Stephanie, and talk about, you know, reproductive function and, uh, you know, making sure that that area is, you know, functioning as well as possible. And I think men respond pretty well to that too. You know, they, they like the yeah. idea of being able to, to function properly from a reproductive sense in terms of, uh, yeah, 
getting the job done. Absolutely. Yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna need different behavioral strategies and techniques depending on the person. You know, there's some people, there's some there's some partners like you said that want the science. Like, why do I need to? Why does my reproductive functioning have play a role? Um, There's some that are really motivated by the fact that the health of their sperm not only can increase the chances of conception, but can really impact the epigenetics of the or the, the genetics of the child. Yeah. And making these changes before they conceive will help keep those habits for when the baby's born so that they're the healthiest, most energetic partner possible. So you're totally right. I mean, there's different ways that you can go about it, but um, both partners really need to step up when it comes to creating a healthy baby, whether or not they're having trouble conceiving. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So let's talk about some things that people can do. So what are some things, I guess, for the male and the female partner that they need to think about in that three months prior to wanting to conceive? Yeah, I actually, um, for my Healthy Mama, Happy Baby members of the Whole30 program, I have this very extensive preconception health guide, and it goes over all the different steps that you would want to consider to optimize your health. And one of them being lab work. I think it's really important to get a baseline of how is your body functioning? Um, is your thyroid is your thyroid healthy? We know for women, women really need to make sure their thyroid, especially their TSH levels, are be- below 2.5 for TSH. I think the numbers are different in Australia, but that's the US. Um, and uh, so thyroid is really important, making sure there's no thyroid antibodies there, anything that can potentially make getting pregnant or sustaining the pregnancy harder. As we know that the baby relies on mom's thyroid hormones for the first trimester. So if mom's thyroid isn't healthy, which unfortunately, many, many women are dealing with thyroid imbalances and are either not diagnosed or not being treated uh, properly. Um, Thyroid's really important. Some moms that I work with try to, or will get a nutrient testing. So they'll see if they have any underlying nutrient deficiencies so they can either supplement properly with a a dietary supplement or through their diet. Um, Things like, are your iron stores um, optimal? Do you have any kind of genetic mutation like MTHFR is a big one? I don't know if you've talked about this on your podcast before, but yep, making sure that those those pathways are working well, Um, making sure you're on a prenatal vitamin before you conceive. I know a lot of times women will wait until they're actually pregnant to start taking one. There is no harm in taking one even a year or two before you conceive to make sure that your nutrient stores are optimal and you have enough folate because here's the thing, you don't just need folate the second that you conceive um, and you, you need it before to start building it and folate is really protective against neural tube defects. So what will happen is most women don't know when they conceive. I mean, there's some that do, but most women don't. And it'll be weeks later, they'll be six weeks into their pregnancy and they'll find out that they're pregnant. Well, that neural tube is needing that folate before those six weeks. It's the first couple of weeks of your pregnancy is when that neural tube is going to close. So being on that prenatal vitamin and or making sure you have abundant folate-rich foods in your diet will help um, really ensure that the health of your baby. So lab work, I'm not going to go over all of them because that would take a while, but you know, getting a, a health comprehensive health check, making sure that you're eating well before you conceive um, and making sure that you have enough folate and fish oil and um, making sure that 
you are, if you want to go the route of the environmental contaminants, you know, changing the products that you're using, a lot of these things aren't just for, you know, fertility or pregnancy, prenatal health. They're for general health. (laughs) So we should be doing these things as it is. But for a couple looking to conceive, it just is all the more important. Yeah, and often it just gives you a bit of added motivation, I think, that, uh, you know, I know certainly for me, uh, we started thinking about having children, then it, it became more important to, to start thinking about, well, you know, how healthy was this body, how healthy was this, you know, sperm that's being created to create this, you know, human being that's coming into the world. It sort of gives you a whole other sense of purpose, I think, and sometimes makes it easier to make some of those changes that perhaps you've been planning on making for a while. Yeah, I, I think that's why I love the population I work with, the pregnant population. If you are wanting to make changes in your health, pregnancy is a great time to do it. If you think about <laughs> things like smoking, do you know how hard it is to quit smoking? But if you get a woman who has been smoking, all of a sudden she's pregnant, it is that much easier for her to quit. Um, trying to eat vegetables. Okay, now once we get past the first trimester, these things are a lot easier. Um, so... I, that's what I love. The compliance is really high when we've got two people on board or maybe three or four. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about postnatal health because, uh, you know, that seems to be a pretty big topic and I think uh, a lot of mums particularly, but I think also we're seeing dads now can struggle post-birth. You know, yeah. often it can be a really challenging time, you know, in terms of lack of sleep, in terms of just massive changes to your lifestyle and your time management and, um, you know, often financial stress. You know, there's a whole lot of factors, I think, that come into uh, post-baby that can really affect people. Um, What are you seeing in terms of people's postpartum health? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that about the the males or or the partners struggling too because that, that often gets overlooked and it's a huge change for everybody involved. So thank you for bringing that up because it, it can ring true for, for some partners. And you, you kind of feel like you have to, especially if you're, if, if the woman is struggling, you kind of feel like you have to be this rock and you don't feel those emotions. Yeah. But, but knowing that they're there and, and figuring out how you can best manage them, whether it's expressing them with a, a counselor or a psychologist or having male friends that you can you know, like laugh it off or, or talk about it with is really important. So I think, I think postpartum health and, and wellness is such an under-discussed topic that is it's heartbreaking for me to see because we are not living in a in a community like moms are just moms are stuck okay we're not we're not in a community like we have been in our past we don't have family around us a lot of the time because we have to move uh with for work reasons or military reasons so we are raising babies on our own and that is not how nature intended it to happen nature intended it to happen that babies are raised in a community and that there's support for the mom in a lot of cultures mom's not even allowed to get off her bed for the first 30 days or do anything other than care for herself and her baby. But in the American culture and and other cultures, moms take pride in going back to the gym at two weeks. So we've got this evolutionary mismatch of who's taking care of mom and what is expected to happen in the postpartum. 
Um, so it can it can be devastating, and that's why we're seeing increased rates of postpartum depression and mood and anxiety disorders today in women is because we don't have that support system. And if mom's not able to prepare meals for herself, if she's grabbing bites of processed and packaged foods because that's all she has available, you know her her nutrient stores of those feel good and emotionally regulating you know nutrients and things like fish oil and vitamin D and and produce and the nutrients that you're going to get and need, um, they're they're just not there because she's only able to choose those package options. So the end of the day, moms are really struggling because of the lack of support and because of that that goal to be this super mom, to yeah. be back in your skinny jeans, be at the gym, be everything to everybody at all time, um, to be you know just a rock star in the boardroom and and but but at the same time dr brat you've got this this mom um and i i talk about this with my own mom you've got this uh, mom war thing going on it's like who can who can do the momming the best who's breastfeeding the longest who's the crunchiest who is you know being the most attachment parenting or you know there's just there's just so many there's so many people that have different opinions on how to parent mm. and you aren't allowed to listen to your instincts yeah. and that can be really really hard for a new mom who's already going crazy hormonally yeah i think that's such a great point i think listening to your instincts for new mums and new parents is just huge i think so often um you know we we override that and we and we don't let mums listen to their instincts or mums you know get influenced by external factors and don't listen to their instincts and i think that's the you know as a parent whether it's a mum or a dad i think that's one of the best things you can do is just listen to your instincts because they're so often right they're so often right and then giving yourself the the circle of friends or the community that is supportive to you. I've lost friends because of conflicting parenting physio- or philosophies. You know, if you are against something like cry it out, for example, and all of your friends are telling you, oh, you're babying your kid, you should let him cry it out. You, you can certainly build up that shield and let it slide off of you. But sometimes it's just better to get out of that, to find new people that support how you want to parent so that mm. you can get that confidence and um, which can be, which can be missing. And listening to your instincts is really, really hard when you have blogs that you're reading and social media things that are being posted that are telling you what you're doing is wrong. Um, and so, yeah, as much as I want to say I was, I, I struggled a lot with my first, um, I think I probably spent, I would say a thousand dollars, maybe more on just sleep. Like, what do I do about mm. sleep? Do I, I bought all the books, I bought all of the swaddles and with my second, I just kind of let him figure it out. You know, I supported him and I knew that he would sleep eventually <laughs> um, and I didn't let other people roll their eyes when they said I was, you know, still nursing him every two or three hours. I just let him do what he needed to do. And it was such a, a much more peaceful postpartum period. So the more that you can just let all that outside influence go, listen to what's in your heart. And I tell the moms that I work with to ask yourself, is your baby safe? Is your baby feeling supported? Do you feel like what you're doing is right? If you can answer those three questions with yes, then it doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. Yeah, 
Nice, I like that. I couldn't agree more. Um, so, you know, in terms of, I guess, the postpartum issues that we're seeing, um, how much of it do you think is related to diet? How much of it do you think is related to exercise and getting back into work and sleep? You know, how much do you think is related to the mental side of things? And I guess how much related to those societal pressures you're talking about? Oh, man. Um, they all just they all just build up. So I would say when you aren't sleeping everything else kind of starts to crumble apart. And when you're not sleeping, you don't have the energy to wake up and make kale and eggs and have sauerkraut and have tea instead of two or three cups of coffee. Um, You are, you're, you're going to be on that that struggle bus for a while and your motivation and your willpower is going to be diminished throughout the day. So I think the sleep is almost one of the hardest parts. Everything feels harder. Doing the laundry feels harder. Putting clothes on feels harder. I remember I was so tired some days that like even taking a shower felt like too much work. So I think, I think the sleep and unfortunately, here's the deal. Sleep is something you can't really control. Uh, you can, you can encourage better sleep, but if your baby is waking up because of teething or being hungry or needing a diaper change, there's not a whole lot you can do, but get up and help the baby. Mm. And when we don't have that community there, like you alluded to, um, if your partner is gone, I work with a lot of, um, I'm a military wife, so I work with a lot of military wives who their partner might be deployed or their husband is on a business trip and you are the sole provider and you don't have that family there, you are getting up, you're the you're 100% responsible for that baby on your own. And sleep deprivation is no joke. When we think about if you lose a night of sleep, you're going to be more insulin resistant the next day. But what are you craving? Carbs. So, (laughs) and then moms also have that, that, well, I want to get my body back. But, you know, pushing yourself when you're not sleeping well, eating less than what your body needs is not productive as well. Your adrenals are already suffering. So it's such a mixture of things. Like I, you can't point at one thing, but if you had to, if you had to point to one thing, it would be the sleep deprivation. Yeah. I think that's probably true too, Stephanie. I probably agree with that one. Um, now we're almost out of time, but before we go, I really want to talk about the whole 30, uh, because you know, the whole 30 program is, I guess, sometimes a program that's seen as quite a strict program. Um, but you've got a different version of it called the Whole30 Healthy Mama's Happy Baby Program. How does that differ from Whole30 and, and how is that targeted towards healthy mums and happy babies? Yeah, so people know the Whole30 as the, the very strict black and white, these are the rules, you follow them. If you mess up, you go back to day one, right? Pregnancy is not that way. (laughs) You're going to have times, especially in your first trimester, where the only thing that you can possibly think about stomaching is a full-out gluten bagel with strawberry processed cream cheese, right? And if that is the absolute only thing that you can eat, you better believe I want you eating that because you need that energy. You need, your baby needs that energy. And while the nutrients may not be perfect, you need to have something. Otherwise you are going to really suffer. And that, that nausea is not going to get better if you are constantly hypoglycemic. So we understand that. And so during the first trimester, we really support moms uh, emotionally. A lot of the moms that come to us are really healthy eaters or they've done multiple whole thirties and then boom, the first trimester hits and 
they're like, I have no idea what I'm doing right now. I find myself just eating chips and I can't stop. And that's the only thing that I want. And I'm, I miss my kale salad or my eggs or my healthy food. So we're helping support them and reassuring them that this is a phase. This will pass. And giving them strategies to support that period of time. Like, okay, so breakfast is just it's whatever you can stomach, right? But what about lunch? Are you feeling better by lunch? Okay, the days that you're feeling better by lunch, what could we do? What sounds good? So working individually within their spectrum is really important. And that's not something that the traditional Whole30 plan offers. Mm. We are by no means saying that we want you to do a Whole30 throughout your entire pregnancy. And in fact, if you don't do a Whole30 during your pregnancy, that's completely fine too. We have people that have never done a Whole30 but have just found our program and they liked the message that we were promoting of you know doing your best to be healthy but not going crazy or stressing and giving you all of the resources in one package so that you don't have to go searching and Googling in all these different places to find it. So that's really our, our the difference. Um, we also are lax with things like snacking, especially as you get on to later stages of your pregnancy in the third trimester, you're not going to want to be eating. You may not want to be eating three huge meals per day and skipping snacks. Your stomach, there's a lot of things going on in there and there's not a whole lot of room. So you might do better with smaller meals throughout the day. Maybe you have heartburn. Smaller meals is definitely going to help you. So we modify it based on common complaints and concerns during pregnancy and along with understanding that it's okay and supporting them through different stages, their cravings, aversions, weight gain, um, self-confidence issues, and so much more. Um. Perfect. Thank you. Um, there's so much good information there. I couldn't agree more. I think it's great that it's being modified and balanced out throughout pregnancy. I think that's a great way to go about it. So awesome work, Stephanie. Stephanie, we are out of time now. Um, so I know people are going to want to find out more about you. Um, I think probably one of the first spots they're going to want to go is to the Real Food Mamas podcast um, where they can hear you for much longer and, and lots more <laughs> and, you know, more in depth on all of these topics, which would be wonderful. Um, they can go to your website, which is rockyourhormones.com. Uh, they can find out about the Mama's Whole 30 at www.mamas.whole30.com and that's M-A-M-A-S. Um, and then Instagram, uh, that you told me you love Instagram, Stephanie. She told me she's big on Instagram. So go check out Instagram, which is Rock Your Hormones or Whole30HMHB, which obviously stands for Healthy Mama's Happy Baby. So thank you, Stephanie. It's been an absolute pleasure having a chat to you today. Yeah, thank you for having me. No worries, we'll chat again sometime soon. And until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join a newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.